Who's glad to be in church today? What a privilege it is to exalt his name together, to worship down here on earth, just getting ready for that day when we'll worship him around the throne. I want to welcome all the Liberty family at Hampton, at Harborview, at Greenbrier, at York River, at Smithville, and Gloucester, those meeting in the chapel, those of you who have joined us online, and I always like to say a special word of welcome and greeting to the men and women in the correctional facilities, the juvenile detention centers. Come on, everybody, put your hands together. Let them know that we're praying for you and welcome all of our guests today. We're glad that you're in church. I want you to take your Bibles. Turn with me, please, to the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. While you turn that, I want to make three quick announcements. First of all, I want to say a word of thank you for your year-end generosity and let you know that to the glory of God, you set a new record for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions, $390,600. And on top of that, to the big gift, $838,800. Can we just give all the glory and praise to Jesus and thank him for how good he is to us and how he is using this to change lives, communities, and the world for Jesus Christ. Now, mark your calendar, February the 12th, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Last year, I had Coach Mark Rick here. I wanted to be fair. I had the team that usually is playing Alabama. It's either Georgia or Clemson that's beat Alabama in recent years, okay? All right. So now I've got the coach of Clemson, okay? I got Tommy Bowden coming. He is a committed Christian. Let me tell you, God has used him he set 41 school records at Clemson, was voted twice the ACC Coach of the Year, and of course did something that no other coach has done. He beat two legendary coaches with 200 plus wins and did it both in the same month. He beat his legendary father, Bobby Bowden, in the Bowden Bowl, and then turned right around and beat Lou Holtz. And nobody else could say that. So I want you to invite your friends to come. We're inviting coaches from area schools, football players will be here. He's going to share his story. Get the word out, mark your calendar, all right? February the 12th. And then we've got C.C. Winding's going to be here in concert on Saturday night, March the 11th. Uh, we were texting back and forth this week, and I asked her if she could stay over from Saturday night to be with us on Sunday morning. Unfortunately, she cannot. She's got to be back at her church in Nashville but uh, is looking forward to the concert, and I want you to know it's just that. It's a Saturday night tour, a spring tour, which means we have nothing to do with it. It's a ticketed event. We're just hosting it here at the Hampton campus. If you got that, say, I got it. So you'll have to go purchase a ticket. Come. If you'd like to be a part of the concert, I know it'll be a great night together. Well, we're in a series called Are You Ready? It's a series on the end times. And today we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Last week we were looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You know, I've read a lot of books on the end times, and most all of them deal with uh, end time events. And, and, and that's a good way to approach it. I'm not criticizing that. I've learned so much from that approach. But I couldn't add any more to the topic or conversation than has already been written and so I decided to take a different approach, and that is to look at the major passages on the second coming and end times, 
and to look at them, the end times according to Jesus. And we looked at the Gospels. And now we're looking at the end times according to Paul. And uh, that is part two. We started it last Sunday. I honestly tried my best to get to Peter to this week. I tried to go on to uh, end times according to Peter, but I couldn't get there. Because there was so much that I had not said and left out. I just couldn't get it all in last week's sermon. So I want y'all to buckle up and get ready. All right? I'm going to load your wagon today. All right? I mean, a lot to look at here. End times according to Paul. This will be part two. And, uh, and then we'll go on in the weeks to come looking at end times according to Peter and then end times according to John. Well, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, thank you for the worship. Lord, you're enthroned, you're exalted on the praises of your people. And I pray now that you would prepare our hearts and minds. Holy Spirit, come and teach us. Lead us and guide us into all truth. And I pray that you would take these prophecies and use them practically in our lives to show us how to live every day. And it'll make a difference in the way we live on Monday and throughout the week. And I pray the anointing that was on the Apostle Paul to write these words would now fall fresh on me. Fill me, Holy Spirit, to preach these words and give the people ears to hear what the Spirit says. And we'll give Jesus, you all the glory. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. All right, write this down. We read first about the sureness of his coming. I'm at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now, if you have been going uh, through the one-year Bible, as many of us are reading through now, we're in the story of Joseph. I love the story of Joseph. And uh, you remember Pharaoh had a dream, and no one could interpret his dream. And so they found Joseph, and Joseph said to Pharaoh, God has revealed to you what he is going to do. And I want you to know God has revealed to us what he is going to do in the end times, in the last days. In fact, I want to give you the entire message of the Bible. You can write it down. Here it is. Uh, God's carrying out a plan from beginning to end. And, and the message of the Bible is clear. In the Old Testament, Jesus is coming. In the Gospels, Jesus has come. And in the letters, the epistles, it says Jesus is coming again. Now that is the total message of the Bible. Jesus is coming, Jesus has come, and Jesus is coming again. Again, Now, this phrase, times and seasons, is only found three places in the Bible. It's found right here in 1 Thessalonians 5. It's found in Daniel chapter 2. And then it's found in Acts chapter 1. When the disciples asked Jesus after the resurrection, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Don't you remember when we were studying the end times according to Jesus? He said, no one knows the day or the hour but my Father, not even the Son. It says here, which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, 
and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The day of the Lord. We can be sure of it. We know that Jesus is coming again. And the day of the Lord is referred to in Scripture as the day of wrath, as the visitation of God, the great day of God Almighty. Uh, it's referred to as the time of Jacob's trouble. I could give you a lot of different names, and we'll look at them as we move along about this period of time when God, listen, pours out his wrath on unbelievers. And he says, for them, for unbelievers, it will be unexpected and unannounced, all right? But not for us, not for us. Number two, the suddenness of his coming. The suddenness of his coming. We pick up in verse two. So comes as a thief in the night, for when they say, and I want you to notice uh, the parallel with the pronouns here. They versus you, all right? It says here, for when they say peace is safety, then suddenly destruction comes upon who? Them, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. And so... He says, the day of the Lord is going to be like a thief. Now, let me tell you something about a thief. A thief does not announce his arrival. They do not give advance notice of when they're going to break in your house or your car or your business. And he said, when the world has this false sense of peace and security, they're saying peace and safety. Let me ask you a question, and I want you to be honest with yourself. Is the world safer today? Come on. No. And so he says, when they give you this false sense of peace and safety, it's suddenly going to come. It will be like labor pains. Now, for every woman who has given birth, you know that labor pains are really not unexpected. Uh, for all the adults, you know how you got pregnant. And you know, nine months later, what's going to happen. All right? So what does the Bible mean when it says here, it is like labor pains? Well, there's something called Braxton Hicks contractions. And ladies will have those and go to the hospital thinking they're about to give birth, but they're really not contractions that will deliver a baby. No, the doctor and, 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 and the emergency room is going to tell you, go on back home and you wait until they intensify. And, and they're going to tell you, wait until they're consistent. And when they are consistently, now I've not given birth. I'm getting all this from Miss Tammy. I've observed her, all right? When they are consistently about three minutes apart, then you head to the hospital. And, and so I want you to see that uh, it has to intensify. Now, Jesus told us the same thing. Uh, in Matthew 24, he, he says here that, that the Son of Man is going to come in an hour when you do not know. It will be suddenly. It will be like labor pains. And, and what I want you to notice is this. He says when you see these things happening, this is not the end. All right? But you know that they're coming. And then he said when you see them intensify. 
when you see those pains getting closer and closer together, those signs getting closer and closer together, and I think anyone honestly would say when you look at the labor pains taking place in the world together, they're, they're coming more consistent, all right? They are closer together. Jesus said no one knows the day or the hour, but he also said, you will know when it's near, even at your door. So the point is this, that they are in the darkness, we are in the light. Did you get that? He says here, there's a difference between they and you. Uh, notice this, they will say peace and safety. They will not escape. He says here, but you will not be overtaken. You are sons of the light. You are not in the darkness. You're not going to be surprised. Let me tell you, when we hear that trumpet sound, we're going to say, it's Jesus, and I've been waiting on him. I've been looking for him. And we're not going to be caught off guard. In fact, he says, you're sons of the light. That is our identity in these end times. We're sons of the light. Salvation, hear me, is not being religious, joining a church, it's not because your grandparents or your parents or family members uh, claim to know Christ or claim to be Christians. It's not being born in a Christian nation. Salvation is being translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. All right? And he says here, we're a child of the king. And we know the king is coming. The king is coming. And when we hear that trumpet sound, we'll look upon his face. We'll know that the time, we, we, we won't be caught off guard. Now, the world loves darkness rather than light. And, and the Bible says that darkness has not, cannot, will not overcome the light. You know what that means today? We're on the winning side. That this is good news, not bad news. Listen, unbelievers are in the dark, believers are in the light. Unbelievers are asleep, but believers are awake. Unbelievers are unprepared, but we are getting ready. We're looking up. Knowing our redemption draweth nigh. Come on, put your hands together and praise God. All right, here we go. The third thing, the seriousness of his coming. Pick up in verse six. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober, be serious. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, be serious, and then he says, put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. Um, he says, stay awake. Now, anyone knows in the wintertime when you've got the heater on in the car and it's cold outside, you had better be careful because you will fall asleep. And so this is the time to be awake. We used to travel when we lived in Arkansas to Georgia 14 hours. We did it at night so the kids would be asleep. And a layman gave me some good advice. He said, the way you stay awake is you get a small cooler and fill it full of ice. Put a rag down in it. And, and while the vehicle is warm and everybody is sleeping and you feel yourself dozing off, you just take your hand and stick it down in that ice. You'll stay awake. Get that rag and rub it on your face. You will stay awake. That's what Jesus is saying here. This is not the time to go to sleep. I look around at a lot of Christians today and you, you live like, act like Jesus is never coming. And you're asleep. And you gotta wake up. Everybody say, wake up. Wake up. Nice the person next to you and say, wake up. All right, here, here it is. <clears throat> Jesus told the disciples, 
Watch with me. Pray with me. But when he was in the garden and praying, he came back and found them asleep. And the Bible says their eyes were heavy. Too many Christians have heavy eyes today. I believe when Paul said put on the breastplate and the helmet, he had in mind a picture of a Roman soldier. And, and we know that a soldier is to stand guard while everybody else is sleeping. And while the world is sleeping, we've got to be standing guard. And, and, and our, our job is to stay awake. So say no to carelessness and say yes to alertness. Students, I know you've started back to school now uh, after Christmas and you're in this new year. Hey, let me give you some good advice. You ready? Early to bed, early to rise. Makes one healthy, wealthy, and wise. All right? A study that's been published says that people who wake up early tend to be more productive. They have more confidence. They're positive. They're assertive. When is it that you find people getting hurt? When is it that you find people getting in trouble? It's in the night. People stumble in the night, sleep in the night, get drunk in the night. I mean, I watch the local news. So-and-so got stabbed at 2 a.m. What's the first thing that comes to my mind? What are you doing out at 2 a.m.? There's nothing good open after midnight but the emergency room. I remember one time uh, when Tammy and I were young, we had the, these friends, they're, they're friends for life, and we, we would get with those couples and play Rook. Every weekend, we played Rook. And our children were small, and, and their son was the oldest, and he was maybe seven, maybe eight, seven or eight. And of course, he was in charge of all the other little ones. And, and we were good parents, you know. I'm telling you, we were around the table, we're playing Rook, and I was so into it and so competitive I know that's a surprise to you. But anyway, I was just so into it, so competitive. My wife would be looking at a JCPenney catalog. And she said, oh, is it my time to play? <laughs> but praise God, she loved her husband enough. She still played Rook, all right? And, 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 and so anyway, uh, we were right there by the garage. And the kids went by us and the kids went out in the garage. And we didn't think anything about it. We could see them. And, and there was a fishing boat out there. And, and the oldest one got up in the fishing boat, and he, he did his job. He took care of all the little ones. But when he jumped out of the fishing boat, he jumped out at the back. And anybody knows at the back of a fishing boat, there is a license plate. And his big toe and second toe just went right down that license plate, and it slid it right open just like a knife. Blood is shooting everywhere. We all had the same pediatrician, Dr. Fred D. Miranda. We called him. The answer service said he'll call you right back. He called back. We're all in the pad right now saying there's blood shooting everywhere. Do you know what he said? He said, it's 10 o'clock. What is the child doing up at 10 o'clock? He made his point. University of Georgia just won back-to-back -back national championships. I know you're tired of hearing about it, but you're going to hear more. <laughs> Only five teams in history have ever done that. And uh, they had their celebration last Saturday. And after the parade and the celebration, the celebration went on into the night. And two of our players, one a sophomore who played every game last year, who played two national championships Instantly killed in the automobile accident. His friend, who had just declared on that Saturday that he's going to the NFL, ended up in the hospital, 3 a.m. Sunday morning. 
Now, when I heard the news, it grieved me. But the first thing I thought of was this. What are you doing out at 3 a.m.? No seatbelt, speeding. I mean, that's a combination for death. Young people, listen to me. Listen to your pastor because I love you. I'm going to tell you the truth. Curfews are the guardrails that will save your life. All right? You hate mom and daddy's curfews. You hate having to be at home. There's nothing good open after midnight but the emergency room. Remember it. Remember it. Well, he, he talks here about two things. He talks about the breastplate, and then he talks about the helmet. Now, it's a combination of two things. In Ephesians, uh, when we're given the armor of God, he calls it the breastplate of righteousness. Here he calls it the breastplate of faith and of love. Put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of salvation like in Ephesians 6. But then he says the hope of salvation. What's the difference? Well, I believe, I believe he's bringing these two truths together. A breastplate covers your vital organs. It guards your heart. And he calls it a breastplate of righteousness, okay? Now, he's just talked about getting drunk at night. And so I'm telling you, it's important. You don't fall into righteousness. You fall into sin. And, and at the cross, Jesus took all of our filthy rags and imputed to us his righteousness. And the devil cannot, I repeat, cannot attack the imputed righteousness of Christ. But what he's going to attack is your personal righteousness. You're getting drunk at night. You're being out when you shouldn't have been out. You're using poor judgment and, and, and poor wisdom. And, and, and so making poor decisions, bad decisions. And then you combine that with, he says, Faith, love, and hope. Now, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, abide. Here remains three things, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So you put that with it. Why do you, why do you put on that breastplate of, of faith? Well, the Bible says to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. We, we have faith. Jesus is coming again. We have hope. Jesus is coming again. We have expectation and anticipation. But listen. When Jesus returns, we won't need faith anymore because our faith will be made sight. And when Jesus returns, we won't need hope anymore because the anticipation and the expectation, listen, will be fulfilled and he'll exceed all of our expectation and anticipation. But the greatest of these is love because even after he returns and we spend eternity with him, God is Love and he will make us like himself. And so he talks here then about the helmet, this helmet of the hope of salvation. That same pediatrician, Dr. D. Miranda, we'd take our kids for a wellness checkup and he'd ask them questions. He was nosy. He would say, Do y'all have a bicycle? And they would say, Yeah, we love to ride our bike. Do you wear your helmet when you ride your bicycle? And Tammy and I are sitting over there like, and they would say, oh, no, no, we don't ever wear our helmets. He cut his eyes over at us. Like, what kind of parents are you? And then they made the mistake of saying this. We only wear our helmets when we ride our four-wheelers. He said, four-wheelers. And all he let us have. It is a wonder he didn't take those kids away from us. A helmet does what? It protects, it protects the head. And I'm telling you, 
The devil's going to attack you. Are you listening? In the mind. And the reason you do wrong is because you think wrong. And if he never gets you to think wrong, you're going to do wrong. And if he never gets you to doubt your salvation, you're going to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine that's out there in the last days. So you got to know that you know that you know that you're saved. And you're ready. That's what the whole series is about. You're ready for the Lord's return. Now, y'all not listening fast enough. Look at verse 9. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. For us, with him. For us. He paid the debt. He paid the bill. Maybe you go out to eat today, and somebody is out there, and you need to buy their meal. You're going to pay for it. Somebody might buy your meal. Let me tell you, that's what Jesus did on the cross. He paid the debt that we owed so we could be with him. Now, it says here, God didn't appoint us to wrath. That's why I personally, personally believe that we are not going to go through the day of wrath or the great tribulation. I believe that we have what? Not been appointed to wrath. Let me give you another verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And that's the same thing that Paul wrote in Romans 1.18, Romans 5.9. That doesn't mean we're not going to have trouble in the last days. Listen, Jesus said, uh, in this life, you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And then he says here in 5.11, therefore comfort each other and edify one another. That's what he said last week. But then he turns around and says, just as you also are doing. Keep it up. Keep it up. So when there's no hope for the future, there's no power for the present. And prophecy is not about setting dates and speculating, but it's about practical Christian living. And last week I closed the sermon looking at Paul's writing and I gave you 10. I just read through my Bible and, and what Paul wrote and I came up with 10. And I said, there's probably 10 more. There are. And I took my one-year Bible that I've been reading for years, and I read 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, and there's at least 10 more, and I'm going to give you all 10 right now in about five minutes, so buckle up. All right, end time. Instructions. Respect your leaders. Write it down. Number one, respect your leaders. He says right here in this chapter, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12. And we urge you, brethren, recognize those who labor among you and over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love for the work's sake. It's not because of their personality. No, it's because of their position, the work that they've been called to do. Uh, Jesus is the chief shepherd, and he has appointed pastors, bishops, elders. Pastor speaks of communication. Bishop speaks of administration. He's an overseer. Elder speaks of reputation. He needs to be respected. But listen, in every crumbling society, you will find the breakdown of authority. Rebellion is the climate of the last days. And I'm telling you, it's intensifying in our country and around the world. Number two, be at peace. Be at peace. He says here, 1 Thessalonians 5, 13, be at peace among yourselves, all right? He said the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. I want you to know, talking about peace doesn't bring peace. Do you understand for your 
sons and daughters not to be drafted, for our children and grandchildren not to be drafted, and for us to be at a time of peace right now, somebody paid a high price. There are those who went before us and sacrificed, and, and, and some of them died. And I'm telling you, if you want peace in your marriage, peace in your home, peace at the workplace, peace in the church, it's going to take sacrifice. And you're going to have to die to self daily. I'm saying to you that patience is essential for peace. You've got to refuse to retaliate. No personal revenge. Learn to forgive and move on. Everybody say move on. If you don't forgive, you can't move on. So don't keep dragging up the past. Is an offense in your yesterdays worth losing all of your tomorrows? Life's too short to stay mad. You say, well, it costs to forgive, but it costs you more not to forgive. All right? Number three, warn the unruly. Warn the unruly. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. They're divisive. And so we see here, and, and y'all can get ready at the campuses, honestly. I'm going to zip right through these, and we're going to wrap this up. Here it is. It's what he wrote in Titus. Warn a divisive person once, warn them twice, and if they still won't repent, have nothing to do with them. All right, the next one, number four, comfort the discouraged. Look at verse 14. You still with me? Say amen. amen. Comfort the faint-hearted. It means the discouraged. Here's what it means. Uh, the word means timid or scared. What, what do we comfort them and encourage them saying, don't quit. Don't give up. Jesus is coming again. It's not the time to throw in the towel. Don't quit. Don't give up. So many people are fearful of the future. I'm just telling you, this is not a time for fear. It's a time for courage. And then he says here, number five, help the weak. Help the weak. Uphold the weak. It means help the weak. You know, everyone who goes to the gym is not strong. Before I came to be your pastor... That year before I came, in, in 2006, I spent every day of the week except Sunday in the gym. I had a partner, a workout partner. Uh, his arm was bigger than both my legs put together. And he was constantly, constantly upholding me. He, he'd take me by my legs, pick me up, put me on that bar, and make me do pull-ups. I was weak. I couldn't do one when I started. Humiliated me in front of God and everybody. I went to one of those gyms where they worked out for the, you know, all the competition and all this no judgment here. There's a lot of judgment in that place. I'm just telling you, I felt it. I felt it. But he pushed me. Tammy, I'll tell you, I was in the best health of my life. And y'all ruined it. I came here and it was casserole, cake, pie, everything else for the new preacher. Now I'm having to fast to get it off. And I'm telling you, my, my spotter, that's what you call it, a spotter, he would come up and he would help me lift the weights. And he said, come on, you can get one more. Come on, get two more. Come on, you can do it again. And the weight never changed. But I'm telling you, my endurance increased because I had a partner. And that's what the church is. We partner together. That's why next Sunday, everybody say next Sunday. We're going to encourage you to get in a group. We're going to help you find a group. We do prayer the first 21 days of the year. Then we go into groups, a brand new semester, and we need one another. And you think about all the shut-ins. They're not lost on a roll somewhere. 
their group leader still calls and checks on them. You think about all those who are divorced and their spouse walked out on them or the single parent who's trying to raise a child by themselves. You think about widows and widowers and orphans. I think about Damika Kelly. If you didn't hear last Monday, you need to go back online and hear his testimony. A pastor we've partnered with in the inner city, he's been a friend of mine for 17 years. He told the story. He was abandoned by his earthly father, but adopted by his heavenly father. And as a church, we come together as God's people and we say, we stand with you. We stand with you. Here's another one. Avoid sexual sin. It says right here in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, for this is God's will. You want to know God's will for your life? Your sanctification. It's a, it's a process that you avoid, you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body. That's what fasting is all about. That's why fasting is so important. You got to get your body under control. And be in holiness and honor. It says, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles, unbelievers who do not know God. And yet I hear Christians, church members say things like this. Well, God just wants me to be happy. No, he wants you to be holy. Well, I, I just got to be true to myself. No, you better be true to God and his word. Who you are in your secret life is who you really are. Here it is, love one another. This doesn't need a lot of explanation. He says right here about brotherly love. You don't need me to write to you because you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. By this, by this, the world will know that you're my disciples if you want. Love one another. And Jesus plainly said in Matthew 24 that in the last days, end times, lawlessness will abound and the love of many will grow cold. But that cannot and must not be said about us. Number eight, mind your business. I love Paul. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11, To seek to lead a quiet life. Some of you think that panic is a spiritual gift. Freaking out is not a spiritual gift. Just, just calm down. And mind your own business. He said it again in 2 Thessalonians 3.11. I laughed when I read it. It says, for we hear that there are some among you who are idle and they're not busy. They are what? They're busy bodies. Let me tell you what you need to do. Stop poking your nose in everybody else's business. Stop spouting off your opinion when it wasn't asked for. You're welcome. Everybody say, none ya. It's none your business. All right? He says, mind your own business. Now, this is the practical side of prophecy and how to live in light of the Lord's return. Number nine, do your job. Do your job. First Thessalonians 4, 11, work with your own hands as we commanded you so that we may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. He said the same thing in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. If anyone isn't willing, that's the key word, to work, he should not eat. Now, he didn't say if you're not able to work. There's a difference between being able to work and being willing to work. Have you got it? Say, I got it. We take care of those who aren't able to work. But if you're not willing, you need to wake up, get a job, get a life, all right? And, and so... Here's the deal. When, when the Lord comes, we want to be found working. Did you ever notice that the men and women that God called in Scripture and used most mightily, He called them when they were just daily at work, doing what they were supposed to do. 
And then the last one, pray for others. Number 10, pray for others. It says 2 Thessalonians 3, 1. In addition, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you and that we may be delivered from the wicked and evil people for not all have, everybody say the last word. Come on, everybody say it, every campus. Faith. But the Lord is faithful and he'll strengthen you and he'll guard you from the evil one. Today, it's the last Sunday of 21 days of prayer. This is our last week. We close on Saturday, coming together at the Hampton campus. We have a huge blowout. Maybe you haven't been on the journey the first two weeks. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. In the end times, we gotta pray. Pray hard, press in, pray until something happens. And so today, we're gonna close by coming to the altar and praying. And I don't want you to slack off, I want you to get stronger. And I want our week, we're going to go into this last week. We're going to give it all that we've got for the glory of God. And everybody said, amen. amen. He said, some do not have faith. I'm asking you, do you have faith? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm going to ask you right where you are. Would you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Just pray something like this. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. I do not trust in what I can do. I do not trust in religion or good works or morality. I trust in your perfect life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection from the dead to save my soul. Make me your child. Adopt me into your family and help me to be ready for your return. In Jesus' name, and everyone said. Amen. Come on, put your hands together. At every campus, rejoice with those online and in person who prayed that prayer. We want you to take the card. Let us know what God did in your life. If you're online, you can text yes to 40371. And just take it to the Next Step Center at a campus or drop it off at a basket. We rejoice with you. I want you to take that next step. Remember next Sunday, we're going to help you get into a group. Come on, everybody stand. Everybody stand. And we're going to pray. We're going to sing a song in the middle of it. Campus pastors will come and pray at each campus. And I'll pray here online and for those uh, at Hampton. And I want you just to respond to what God has said to you today. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. That we're not left to ourselves or wondering about what's going to happen in the end times. I thank you that it's not going to catch us by surprise. Lord, I pray that we'll be found ready. Give us an undivided heart. Help us, I pray, to work, to do what you put us here to do. And Lord, would you hear the prayers of your children as they come to the altar, as they call on your name. We worship you as our creator. We worship you as our soon coming king. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen.